This is the New Testament lesson, uh, the theme for the day, as well as uh, the passage for our homily reflection. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Therefore, Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for shalom with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know if any of you listen to the uh, On Being podcast by Krista Tippett. It's usually a pretty good listen. I was listening to it this week uh, and listening to her interview, uh, a prominent poet uh, who's an African-American in our country and a, and a prominent poet and writer named Clint Davis. I was unfamiliar with his work before this week, uh, but listen to this portion of her questioning him. This is his response to one of her questions um, about his heritage as an African-American in Uh, in America, from New Orleans and in the South. He said, I had this moment where I was like, I'm the descendant of enslaved people. My grandfather's grandfather was enslaved. I grew up in a city that was the heart of the domestic slave trade. And I don't know enough about the history of slavery in a way that feels commensurate to the impact and legacy that it's had on this country. And so I felt like I needed to go on a sort of pilgrimage. I wanted to go visit monuments and memorials and museums and cemeteries and prisons and these places that told the story of this history in their bars, in their soil, in the buildings that still stood from that period of time. So yeah, I traveled across the country, visiting all these different places and examining to what extent these places were were reckoning with that history, to what extent they were failing to reckon with that history, and to what extent they were doing something in between. I ended up going to the National Museum of African American History and Culture with my grandparents, My grandfather, born in 1930, Jim Crow, Mississippi. My grandmother, born in 1939, Jim Crow, Florida. And we're walking through the museum, and I'm pushing my grandfather in his wheelchair. His cane is laid across his lap, and my grandmother's walking a few paces ahead of us. And I had this moment where I'm looking at them, look at the exhibits in this museum, and realizing that so many of the things that are documented in this museum are things that they experienced firsthand. I talked to my grandmother after the museum after we left. And she kept using this refrain. She kept saying, I lived it. 
I lived it. I lived it. This man knew that he was a part of a story and he wanted to know more of it. And so he went on a pilgrimage and he met there people that he says in this interview, he had never thought to stop and ask about their experience because they're family. You don't, you just take so much for granted. And he had never really asked them to talk about this experience until they went to this museum together. And we too, as you've heard us say a lot over the last couple years, are a part of a people with a heritage. We're a part of a people that are meant to go on pilgrimage And days like all saints, we are to remember that we are part of a living communion of saints that have indeed lived the life of faith. They've lived its temptations and its trials. They've persevered. They've endured. And they're calling us to remember what our finish line is, that our pilgrim destination can be nothing short of shalom, of new creation, of resurrection, in fact, for us and for all of God's people and for his creation They are encouraging us not to settle for situation normal here. And if we are to be on pilgrimage, it means that we know our lives have a transcendent meaning, even in the ordinary, that every step, every inch, every sore foot, every pulled muscle, that all of it is part of God's plan for our lives because it is a part of our pilgrimage. It's part of what's shaping us to be ready for his new creation, for resurrection, for shalom. So we need to know that we have this transcendental, transcendent meeting, and also that we are not alone, that we are part of a communion, that we have this one union that we're heading towards in common, the shared destination, the shared pilgrim people. And you've heard me say before that this is so needed in our time. In a world, we're going through a sermon series, which which is not really, this is a little bit of a break from, but why church, why now? This morning would be because we are settling and we're unsettled. We the world around us is like, is there any purpose? Is there any meaning? Is there a good ending to what we're doing here? We've eradicated mystery from our world. And so we're disenchanted. And we are called to be people that say there's more than meets the eye here. There's more that's going on. And we're also in a culture in which they've lost meaning, a sense of purpose, not only just mystery, but meaning. And so they become bored, just trying all the pleasures of late era Western capitalist consumption and they're bored but we are made for something more something difficult but full of great dignity in fact the hebrews passage that you heard was written to this is a fact early christians who were marginalized so they were small they were persecuted they were confused and they were growing bored and disenchanted with their new christianity they'd had it and we've been doing this for a few decades now and it's not changing everything, and it seems boring. And so they stopped showing up to church. They're dabbling in their old habits that used to destroy them. They're finding their experience of the world hopeless, and they're finding Christ boring. And what they needed, Hebrews said, was a stronger, more enduring faith. Faith. Faith in Jesus, specifically. He puts it this way. Now, faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. See, here faith is not like a trust fall. It's a unique gift given to Christians that gives meaning and it gives assurance and hope. And it returns mystery to the world. There's this invisible reality that we can see what is unseen because we know God is doing things behind the scenes, if it will tells us that we have a heavenly father who is at play with us. We're on a path that leads to his arms. 
Jesus has blazed a trail and left behind clues about how to get there. And we follow him together as a community. This cloud of witnesses, of faith, cheering us on. And so life is best lived as a pilgrimage, especially as a communal striving. A communal striving toward a sacred destination. This is how we will stop being hopeless and bored and distracted and dropping out and instead decide to get back in the race and run when we are together striving toward the sacred destination. You heard it again. Since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame where he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus founded this race. He mapped it out. He completed it. He went through agony for the joy set before him. And you know what that joy was? That joy was ruling at God's right hand as one of his people, as one of us, as a human being. You, for you, for me, he is ruling over all things to give us meaning and mystery. To make sure our destination isn't boring or something to fear, but our destination is now him. The one who hung on the tree for us is there, seated in glory, waiting for us, beckoning to us, waiting to give us the delightful and blissful presence of God, the gift of personal holiness and being set free, a kingdom. It says the grace of God. And see to it that no one fails to get to this finish line. We are cheered to the finish line by witnesses who ran just like us. That author, Clint Smith, that I quoted at the beginning in one of his passages, and Krista Tippett had him read this, wrote a little reflection about that time with his grandma. And here's what he said. A silence settled between us, and I kept thinking about her refrain. I lived it. I lived it. I lived it. It echoed throughout that room and became the gravity around us. It crept into my ears and made a home in there. I watched the realization wash over her like a tide had risen around her body. There was so much I had not known about my grandmother's life until this moment. So many painful experiences that she still carried deep in the marrow of her bones. I thought of how easily these memories might have slipped away from her had we not sat down. These stories might have remained grains of sand at the bottom of an hourglass. I thought about all the ways the world today is at once so different, and yet not so different at all. The exhibits at the museum were not abstractions for my grandparents. They were affirmations that what they had experienced was not of their imagination. And harrowing reminder that the scars of that era had not been self-inflicted. When my grandmother said, I lived it, what I heard was, this museum is a mirror. When my grandmother said, I lived it, what I heard was, my memories are an exhibit of their own. When my grandmother said, I lived it, what I heard was, always remember what this country did to us. When my grandmother said, I lived it, what I heard was, don't let them tell you we didn't fight back. When my grandmother said, I lived it, what I heard was, I did not die. I have somehow made it here when so many did not. I escaped the jaws of a cruel thing and lived to tell this story. When my grandmother said, I lived it, what I heard was, I am still alive. The author of Hebrews said to us, all of those before us died in the faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They acknowledged that they were strangers and migrants on the earth. These ones of whom the world was not worthy, God had prepared for them a city. 
who through faith conquered kingdoms and enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better resurrection. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Friends, these are your people. They have lived it. They ask you to live it still today. They are your living monuments that you get to make pilgrimage with. And so run the race. Keep your eyes on the prize. You can make it. Live it today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.